0: So this week, I got to sit down with the incredible Fiona Sutherland, who is an accredited practicing dietitian from Melbourne, Australia. And she's just a powerhouse of, it's just so incredible how much she's getting done. So Fiona is very well known in the Australian community and and even internationally with anti-dieting. She's the co-director for Body Positive Australia and also owns the Mindful Dietitian. In addition to clinical practice and her expertise in eating disorders, Fiona also runs a lot of anti-diet training programs for dietitians in Australia and pretty soon around the world. In addition, she lectures at Deakin University teaching up-and-coming dietitians all about the anti-dieting approach. And Fiona is really skilled at bringing mindfulness approaches into this, so very across all of how to bring mindfulness into your relationship with food and eating and body. And we're so lucky because Fiona is one of our untrapped guides. So for our online program, Fiona's really there at the forefront with helping people to shift away from eating from food rules and diet culture and guilt to really learning how to apply mindfulness principles in relationship with food and eating. So she's just got a lovely manner about her and she's a very compassionate person. So this week I got to sit down with Fiona and we opened up the topic of how health professionals are treating people in larger bodies in our culture and just how angry we are and how sad we are about how rampant the injustice is and the stories that we're hearing from client after client about really there's no other word for it than mistreatment and prejudice and this really is not helping anybody to look after themselves and in fact holding on to sort of bias about people's bodies it really holds us back as a culture and keeps us separated and very worryingly when we have all of this kind of weight stigma and weight bias happening in our health professions people themselves start to believe that, and so we become really disempowered. So Fiona and I got a bit fiery about this topic this week, but we had a really amazing conversation too. We turned this anger around to talking about how we can push back. So Fiona Sutherland, hello,
1: Hello, Louise Adams. How are you?
0: I am wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today and having this talk. It's just excellent to have you on
1: episode number two. Oh my gosh, number two. Hang a second. Why was I number one? I'm <laughs> highly offended. Seriously. <laughs> I'm terribly sorry. I didn't want you to find out this way. <laughs> as long as it was Fiona Willer, I'll be happy.
0: Oh, you know what? It definitely was Fiona Willer, so excellent. it's all okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So tell me, what is firing you up this week? Oh, my God, Lou. Well, you should know me better than to ask me what's firing me up at any one point in time because I have a list always Ooh. ready to go. I love it. Yes. So what's especially firing me up this week is I've been having repetitive conversations with individuals and groups of people where they're having the most shocking, shame-ridden experiences with health providers. So not just doctors, but specialists and allied health professionals such as dieticians and physiotherapists and The stories are just, they're absolutely heartbreaking. So I go through this very predictable chain of events, which is feeling really sad, like really deeply sad and empathic. And then I just get pissed. Like I'm really pissed off, you know, because... It just seems like it's the same story again and again and again and again and again. And of course, it's, it's not always because the providers intend on sending a shaming message. But at the end of the day, if the impact on the person in front of them, the patient or the client, is that they leave filled with shame, and then we know what shame does is it makes people less inclined to actually enact self-care and health behaviours, then you know, it just it really, it, frankly, it just really pisses me off because it's it's hurting people. It's really hurting people.
0: I'm so glad this is at the top of your list because I have a similar experience of sitting in my room week after week and I, those stories, relentless. And and it's, it's often when I'm working with people in larger bodies, it's happening with not just one health provider, but practically all of them. And I get the same reaction. I feel very sad. I feel... Often quite overwhelmed with just the relentlessness yeah, yeah. of this message of shame that people are getting. And what I really noticed is how much people end up agreeing with mm. whatever that health provider is saying. I remember one client saying to me, she was a lady who was sort of postmenopausal and she'd struggled with her weight all of her life, always being told that her body was wrong in some way, but postmenopause had put on some extra weight. And She ended up in my office saying, telling me this story of going to her GP, who she's been to for about 25 years, and constantly having this conversation with her about what is my client doing to lose weight. And, you know, Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, it's Mm. so many attempts. Anyway, this client was telling me, well, this time, you know, she really read me the Riot
1: Act, and rightly Uh. so. She said, rightly so. Yeah, well, because, of course, if people know better and if they feel ashamed and bullied into something, of course, that's the next change. Not, like... (laughs) you know yeah. if we're working from this paradigm of if people knew if people know more they'll do more or mm. if they feel bad enough about something then that will push them into change working with that paradigm is just it's hurting people and it's causing a lot of ill health that kind of falls under the well if you lost weight then you wouldn't be in this situation but mm. sending that message is just so It's digging people into deeper holes and it's distancing people from the health providers, which will actually be helping them ultimately be more healthy. So, for example, if somebody has a knee injury or they have something wrong with their knee, they will need an orthopaedic surgeon. They need that person. Yeah. So they don't need them to tell them to lose X amount of, of kilos before they do the surgery or any kind of shame based messages. What they do is they need that person to deal with their knee.
0: Wow, you're talking about health care without stigma. Oh my gosh,
1: yes I am. <laughs> because that's my
0: take on all of this is that when we have those weight loss conversations or we have that weight loss focus in the room with health providers, whether that's a knee surgeon or or somebody who's there for endocrinology reasons or whatever the reason is, when we're having those conversations, we're just revealing bias. We're yep. not looking underneath the hood at what is this
1: person's health condition and how can I directly target an improvement there? Absolutely. But not only that too, I think the, one of the major missing pieces is that health providers don't have the time and sometimes not the skill Mm. to be able to do a really good thorough assessment of somebody's history of their relationship with food and eating and their body. So for somebody that has never dieted before, they often have a different mindset, often, not always, often have a different mindset and different attitudes and beliefs around food, eating and their body compared to somebody who has really struggled in their, in their relationship with food and their body long term. So those people are much more vulnerable and you can't send the same message to every single person because the recipient of that message is not receiving it in the same way. Somebody who has been told their whole life that their body is wrong, that they should be um using all available resources to fix it and improve it and, you know, all of course under the guise of quote unquote health. Yeah then there's going to be a lot more potential for harm with that person. They're going to avoid further health care. It's going to send them down the weight cycling and the dieting stuff that we know hurts people both psychologically and physically as well. So I think that's one of the big missing pieces that a lot of specialists, they simply don't have the time, which is why, hello, get your haze aligned, weight-inclusive, compassionate providers on board to be able to do that really good history and to be able to help help people based on their experiences, not just based on what you see in the here and now.
0: Yeah, and that's where I see my role, you know, quite often because I do have the luxury of having an hour with every single person. Yeah, that's right. And that's a really nice length of time to get to know someone and to hear, you know, what they've been through, what kinds of things have happened to them. And I think that's a really powerful relationship to develop with someone. So quite often I'll have a relationship with someone and with that compassion and understanding and maybe a little bit of education around the non-diet approach and weight science and stuff like that, there's more capacity then for that person to go and visit a GP where they might have only 15 minutes with the GP, but there'll be a little bit of resources there that they yes. might not have had before. So, yes, seeing someone like me or someone like you, a non-diet dietitian, to to kind of really be your first line of defence against a health industry that, that is quite shockingly biased.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But the other thing that's just occurred to me as you were talking is I've had a whole bunch of people recently, well, one one lady is kind of coming front and centre to mind, that she has had a very long mental health history and a very long history of being disconnected from her body and repetitive dieting and feeling pretty bad about herself as a human. She is the most lovely person and... Yeah, I kind of, I feel very compassionately towards her experiences. So what's happened is that when she went to see the GP, he reminded her that 10 years ago, she lost a lot of weight. Yep, she was not in a good way health-wise and she did lose a lot of weight and that some of her health markers improved as a result and she was exercising in a way that was not good for her body and she got herself caught up in this really messy and mucky cycle of dieting and instrumental exercise that ultimately was not good for her and she, you no it wasn't good for her so her GP thought it would be really helpful to remind her you know that her numbers had improved when she lost all this weight and was not looking through the lens of actually she wasn't healthy she actually well, it probably would have been diagnosed at the time as an eating disorder.
0: Well, it sounds like when you were talking about it for me, that just
1: sounds like someone's developing disordered eating. Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm. Mm. Exactly right. But what health providers are doing is that they're saying, oh, you've done it before, you can do it again type thing and, you know, buckle up. You know, oh. and, th- and interestingly, this GP, because um, she's a woman who lives in my local area, I actually know this GP and he's actually a really lovely fellow. He's very mm. lovely. But mm. this is the crunch that lovely people can actually be assholes. That's so true. <laughs> that is so true.
0: Because <laughs> we don't look underneath any of this enough to, I mean, wow, you can do it again? Really? What, I can no. become disordered again? Yes, I can. Oh, it's, yeah, regardless of intention, it went. the problem with weight focus for me is that when we just focus on weight, and when we see weight loss is uniformly good, we, we forget all about, like, let's just... Take the behaviours and look at the the bigger picture here. Are these behaviours health-enhancing or are these behaviours a little obsessive and getting, you know, on that slippery slope for, for dangerousness? I'm reminded of this pretty horrendous story from one of my clients who, again, her whole life has been lived in a larger body. Her father is a prominent surgeon in cardiovascular area who was always ashamed of how she looked and she remembers never being taken to work, never being introduced to his colleagues at the hospital as part of many stories of her shame and rejection because of her weight. Anyway, she went away to uni and developed a raging drug habit and lost a lot of weight and kind of came home skinny because she was very addicted to the drugs. And she remembers her dad just being over the moon at how healthy she looked. And for the first time, took her to work with him to introduce her to all of her. Older oh flesh. my gosh. Yeah, and she she just had this horrendous experience of walking through being sort of proudly shown off by her dad when she was just so, so addicted and so unwell and this is the the stuff right this is not okay when we just focus on someone's weight we're not looking beyond that and there's lots of ways that we can be healthy too yes i mean again if we just forget all about weight there's lots of ways we can practice health enhancing behaviors and that's what we need to be looking at and that's what we're not looking at when everything is just going through this bigger bodies are not okay and smaller bodies what we should all be aiming for regardless of the cost
1: yeah absolutely well that also reminds me actually of people who and it's a bit of an unfortunate name actually because according to dsm and most uh, some people won't be familiar with that so the diagnostic standards manual which is a a big thick book full of diagnoses <laughs> psychiatric diagnoses yeah and under eating disorders There's anorexia and then a subtype of anorexia is called atypical anorexia, which is um, people who might not quote unquote fit, you know, the typical kind of picture of anorexia. And one of these is higher weight anorexia. And frankly, it annoys me that we can't just call it anorexia. Why do we have to call it atypical or higher weight or blah, 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 blah? It's all free, but if you close your eyes mm. you listen to the person's story in front of you and you listen to the symptoms and the signs and particularly the way they're thinking and attitudes towards food and eating and their body, it's all fucking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right.
0: We are so biased I mean atypical anorexia because somebody's body isn't what we think it should be yeah because of a stereotype I mean a mental illness is a mental illness regardless of what kind of body shape it's affecting it's horrendous and it just reflects this bias once again it absolutely really needs to go those people are not getting the care that they need at all I really feel for people at higher weights who are suffering with eating disorders, especially the anorexic types, because it's literally not recognised. And yep. and I have many clients who say, "Well, I, you know, I I had to go away and kind of <laughs> that message I needed to be smaller in order to get even attention for something as devastating as an eating disorder, which
1: yeah is truly heartbreaking." And with that, of course, with those um, set of behaviours comes a whole bunch of health consequences as well. Mm. So, you know, it's, if we can just look beyond the body and look beyond weight and, it, and with a particular myopic view of weight loss, mm.
0: Mm. then what
1: will be revealed is actually fairly complicated. And Lou, to be honest, I think that's probably why people just keep coming back to weight is because actually if you we were to really take honest look beyond weight there's a lot there that we don't understand there's a lot there that is really complex and complicated and I think for a lot of people they're like oh let's just bring it back to weight I'm not sure
0: what it is. Yeah it's simple and everybody understands it and so let's just keep on continuing to look at that under that framework even if the framework's incorrect
1: even if the framework is doing That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's actually going to take a brave community, which we are part of. Yeah. It's going to take a brave community to keep speaking up and keep speaking up and keep speaking up. There's a lot to topple. There is a lot to topple. (laughs) I know. Yeah. There is. Look, I believe, I do believe it's not insurmountable. We are getting somewhere, but it's a big mountain. It is a big
0: mountain, but if we can get messages out and if we can get people to start... Because I, I think for, for me, the work I do with my clients and for you, probably the work you do with your clients is, is this message of empowerment to, to stop swallowing the message that I'm going to agree with the weight stigma and the prejudice that is being heaped on me by the medical profession or by my health professionals. To firmly reject that and say, actually, you know what, I have the right to be treated with respect and with objectivity by my medical and health professionals, regardless of what kind of body I'm in. And, exactly. and that that you know that demand for for better healthcare and for better treatment is somewhere to start. I think it's very yeah. possible.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's what I try
0: and do with my clients. Anyway, and I know that's what you try and do with your clients yeah definitely it does mean pushing back though it does mean pushing back so to a health provider who it might be a gp which is pretty scary right it's pretty scary to go into a gp and say actually i just want you to look at my how i can help stabilize my insulin resistance for example rather than having the weight loss conversation absolutely yeah that's pretty ballsy to go in with that if you're not a doctor because of that power differential that can exist oh definitely yeah yeah Yeah, but but that's where, you know, all the Hayes literature, all of the non-dieting literature, so, you know, the books like uh, Dr. Linda Bacon's book, Health at Every Size, really challenges this assumption that your weight is the cause of whatever is wrong with you and that weight loss will cure it. So so getting some knowledge and reading about that is a fantastic place to start, I think.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think it's what you're raising is these points of advocacy because – it does take a lot of courage to advocate for yourself, particularly if you've tried before and it hasn't worked out that well for you. Yeah. But that's where um, Hayes Hayes Health providers can really advocate, not so much on your behalf, but can support you and walk alongside you. So I prefer not to speak for people. I prefer to help other people build skills in being able to speak up for themselves. But I will also be right there with a letter or with a phone call and I know I had mentioned to you that Sarah and I actually came up with some phrases that people yes. can take with them to their health provider.
0: This is the best idea I've ever heard. So tell us more about that.
1: Okay, so we were inspired by Reagan Chastain, who, for those of you who are not aware, is her website is with fat. We were really inspired by some phrases that she came up with that people could take with them to their doctors. And what we wanted to do is to Ozify it a little bit. And by that what I mean is if you're the Reagan I loved I loved Reagan's phrases. I thought they were incredible. Yeah. But if you are somebody who has never spoken up before, then to take it a little gently, both on yourself as well. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry about the person receiving the message, but, you know, on yourself, a gentle kind of approach. We came up with some phrases that might help.
0: Okay, okay. So Reagan's phrases are quite, would you say, maybe more advanced, like for people who are more au fait and on board with the non Yeah. and feel pretty resilient with it, and, and you can go in with her kinds of messaging and push back fairly sternly. Yes. Okay, cool. So for people who are like non-diet beginners, who are going to a health professional and expecting maybe a little bit of weight focus.
1: Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. So what kind of phrases have you got there? Okay, so I'll pick out just a few. So one is, I know we've only got a short time. So I'd really like to focus on what I came here for, please. Yeah, perfect. So that came, that one I really like. That is very similar to one of Reagan's. And I like that because I've had several people who, for example, one of my clients had a throat infection and ended up leaving with a low-carb diet. Oh. And then, yeah. And then one of my other clients had a rash on her arm that ended up being from a plant in her garden, but she left with a 5-2 diet. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'd like to focus on what I came here for, please.
0: Yes, lovely. It's so simple and elegant. I want to focus on what I came here for, please. Yeah, that's just yeah. a firm boundary. Beautiful. Yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah. So other ones. Are, what would you be recommending to me if I had a smaller body? And could we start there, please? <laughs> that is my favorite. That is my favorite. Like,
0: if I was in a thin body. What would you be telling me to do? Can I have that treatment, please? Love it. Yes. Yes. I find that so effective because then you get to the nitty gritty of like, I'm thinking knees, you know how um, (laughs) the knees seem to be the focus of so much weight loss hysteria when it comes to health providers. But, you know, what helps knees is strengthening and stretching and referral maybe to a surgeon or to a physio. This is what someone in a smaller body with a knee problem would get told to do. Correct. Mm. People in larger bodies are told to lose weight before they get that. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's the same with, uh, for example, IVF and fertility. Oh, that really...
0: Grinds my gears. Oh, that fires me up enormously because yeah. I think there's actually... They've even denied people IVF yeah. treatment based on purely on BMI, which that is an example of discrimination as far as I'm concerned.
1: Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So that's where us as health providers can advocate for people at least having some proper investigations done or a proper history being taken, not being sent away for weight loss before we even do any investigations or assessment.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Just that, that actually the the fertility thing really really makes yeah. me upset because
0: it really fine. hurts me too yeah. yeah and especially i think because of a lot of women with polycystic conditions are then told to lose weight before they can access ivf i mean it's what a minefield because of of, of course you know weight loss in the long term is literally almost impossible for most humans but for people with pcos it's actually even that short-term weight loss that many people experience is not possible with people That's with PECOS, right. not because they're doing anything wrong, but because of the condition itself, which is about resistance to weight change.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, exactly.
0: So enormously unfair.
1: It really is. It really is.
0: And I, I know I have, sorry, I'm on my soapbox now, aren't I? With the IVF, I have written letters to advocate on behalf of my clients there because it's discrimination. And I really am waiting for someone to start a class action against IVF clinics that refuse treatment on the basis of BMI alone. When, by definition, fertility clinics are there for people who find it difficult to get
1: pregnant. Correct,
0: exactly. Anyway.
1: Exactly, I think if we were to look under that hood, I think it would be about um, policy, politics and money.
0: Yes, yes, and prejudice.
1: And prejudice.
0: Which we run straight into once again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That that somehow fat people are not as worthy of these treatments, which is just, I mean, God, that mm. just hurts me so deeply.
0: Yeah, yeah. You've just reminded me of a, a story. One of my clients is in a lesbian relationship. She wasn't the one trying to get pregnant. It was her partner. And they were delaying treatment until she lost weight (laughs) oh my god (laughs) which yeah Yeah. they found a different clinic which is fantastic and and that's again that's that's the advocacy right find a different health provider absolutely if you are finding that the person in front of you is in spite of your best efforts to make these phrases or comments or talk to them about a non-diet non-weight focused approach if they're not listening you
1: have the freedom to walk out the door and find someone who will. Yep, that's exactly right. I think what you raise is something important and that is that when people have repeatedly come up against this kind of situation that they feel really beaten down, you know, that they don't have the energy to be, or the time, or the resources, or the finances to go to different specialists. So that's why hearing that it is possible and persistence is important. I think my client's quite like hearing that there's work going on behind the scenes, that we are really trying to change the culture in which they are being hurt.
0: That is so true because although it is an incredibly biased set of professions, there's also a really enormous backlash that's going on and there are many conversations in many different fields about the impact of stigma and bias and also about the benefits of a weight-neutral approach. So there's plenty going on. It might yep. not feel like it, but there's plenty going on.
1: Yeah. So that's, yeah, it's important for everybody to have a sense of community. Our clients, us. Yeah,
0: yeah we need so to stay connected. Yeah, we need connection. We need to know what we're doing, how we're fighting, where we're winning, where things are still quite dangerous or unsafe. Absolutely. Yeah. So do but you want another one? Oh, yeah, yeah. More, more.
1: Okay. okay. So All another right. one which I think is really, really important for people to say, is I have a history of an eating disorder and I've been advised that weight loss dieting and or cutting out food groups is a risk factor for relapse. For anybody that has ever had an eating disorder or who has has significantly disordered eating or chronic dieting, going on another diet, not only not going to work, it's also really unsafe.
0: Yeah, it's such a good point. And there are so many people who are suffering with eating disorders, like around a million Australians and a hefty proportion of people who are not diagnosed, like you said. Yeah, what a great phrase. I have a history and weight loss dieting is a risk factor. It's actually one of the strongest risk factors for the development of an eating disorder and for a relapse, like we know. So that's a really powerful one. And if your health professional will not listen to that... Yeah, and I think... You need to run.
1: If you have ever had an eating disorder, I often say this to my often not only often I always say this to my clients. As you're moving through recovery and then you're living a life of more wellness and less of the disorder, you can never diet again, pretty much.
0: Yeah, it's not. You can never diet
1: again. Yeah. Well, you can if if you want to kind of put yourself at risk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly If you want to stay well, you can mm. never die it again. Now, that doesn't mean that somebody's not going to have thoughts or urges. Yeah, completely acknowledge that having thoughts or urges about changing the body or about, oh, I'll just cut out this or I'll just weigh myself once. But vulnerabilities stick around, unfortunately. So for somebody to be able Mm -hmm. to sustain wellness, particularly from an eating disorder, Mm -hmm. then to know your vulnerabilities and to be very vocal about those with people who are potentially putting you at risk, I think is incredibly important.
0: Yeah. It is so important. And if something happens that goes against that, you need to change providers. One of my yeah, clients exactly. who has had an eating disorder was literally weighed against her will by a health provider <gasps> who thought it would be really, really important for her to know her weight. And that caused a huge, you know, oh obvious a relapse, of course. So it's just, you know, I think, again, we get back to that idea of empowerment. If you know... What's safe for you and what's not safe for you, speak up and do your absolute best to not be subjected to stuff that's going to hurt you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, what we're talking about really is building people's capacity to be able to speak up. And I know we've already kind of uh, spoken a little bit about this, but really making it clear that we really acknowledge and understand that if you've had unpleasant or shaming, experiences with your health provider that you might think well why bother you know
0: yeah why do I go and see these people
1: yeah that's exactly right but what we want to really make clear is that there is work going on behind the scenes Mm. and that being able to have somebody to support you somebody who will have your back as you try to speak up even if you're a real novice at it or even if you felt knocked knocked down or knocked back before Mm. that it is advocacy for yourself is it is important. important. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Even yeah, that's such a good point. Even if even if your advocacy goes awry, even if yeah, you that's get why. a good response, you are doing an awesome thing because you are pushing back. You know, the response of the provider is a bonus, but your voice and your refusal to put up with this kind of treatment is that's where we can locate the success. That's awesome. Yeah. You can start to yeah. that's what you deserve. I wanted to I don't know if this is one of your phrases, but this is one that I encourage people to talk to their provider about, because quite often people will be just beaten around the head with another diet, another attempt to lose weight, even if the person's had hundreds of diet experiences prior. So one thing I ask my clients to do is, so whatever the condition is, right? If it's a knee or if it's a insulin or if it's a cholesterol or heart, whatever's going on, ask your doctor, for the research evidence that for your condition there are studies that can show safe and lasting significant weight loss alongside meaningful improvements in the condition that you have and ask to see that literature. Yeah. Because there won't be any. Because <laughs> that's my litmus yep. test, right? If If I am going to wade into it's a really good idea for you to lose weight... I want to know the evidence that not only has that happened to other people before, but it's been studied and found to be harmless and effective because that's not what the research shows. The that's research doesn't show that at all. The research shows that we get short term changes in weight followed by weight regain in all but maybe 2% of right. cases. And that's the foundation of this yeah. weight inclusive approach is the general failure of weight focused stuff to actually have an impact.
1: And yeah. we know that plus or minus weight loss that that health behaviors, you know, play a significant role in overall health and well-being.
0: Yeah, that's what all of the Hayes and non-diet studies are showing and there's a you know, a formidable pile of that kind of research growing now that when we just look at health behaviors and we forget all about focus on weight loss that that's what makes the difference in our various chronic illnesses that's the active ingredient. Yeah. And so if we forget about this focus on weight loss and just focus on behaviors, what a lovely and accessible thing for all bodies. We are the radical people who are questioning the status quo. Yeah. And this is what is needed. This is what's greatly needed. People like you, cuz Fiona, you're out there literally changing the profession of Australian dietetics and you know through all the work you do, all the workshops, all the training that you do, introducing dietitians at various stages of their career to let's look at it from this weight inclusive approach. It's so good to know that there's people like you out there.
1: Oh, thank you, Lou. I really appreciate that because it's something I'm very passionate about. Yeah. And a lot of my colleagues and a lot of the dietitians that I supervise, they say to me, you know, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And And so I think, well, if we can at least get it into dietetic training, then they see it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and, and hopefully, it actually, I personally believe that it keeps people in the profession and it puts longevity into people's careers and it mm-hmm. puts their heart back into it. You know, you're not somebody just telling somebody else what to eat or how to eat. You're actually listening to somebody's experiences.
0: Yeah. Like you were saying earlier, right, it's, it's a lot more complicated when we start kind of literally ignoring weight, but it's a hell of a lot more interesting and more human than the models that we have going at the moment. Exactly. So I could talk to you all day, Fee, but we need to wrap it up. But where can people find out more about you and everything that you're doing? And also your resource on the phrases that people can use with health professionals.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So people might be disappointed to hear that there are no swear words on this helpful phrases sheet because that is a, a particularly favourite behaviour of mine is to is to swear. So sorry to disappoint everybody, but you know, um, I've kept it fairly, quote unquote, clean. For the sake of, <laughs> for the sake of this, so the phrases you, that will, which will be downloadable you can find on bodypositiveaustralia.com.au all one word all lowercase and that's the place where my business partner Sarah Harry who is a psychotherapist and yoga teacher that's where she and I live not mm-hmm. med- not not physically but. Med- And you can also find us on Facebook, Body Positive Australia. We have a page there. And then my own kind of business with dietitians is called themindfuldietitian.com.au. And that's really a place where I put resources and links and training and all kinds of other things that are suitable specifically for dietitians. So the reason why I'm really passionate about that is because not only is it kind of a small part of my business, but it's also, I want to promote this whole idea I want to promote other people doing great work and I want to promote these weight inclusive practice ideas mm. that that dieticians in particular can access because I completely understand and acknowledge that it is a leap it's a real leap from our yeah. training and that you'll need support to yeah. to take that leap and yeah. there's support available so yeah good news
0: yeah you are definitely yeah you are the, the safety net underneath that leap for so many people and it's just fantastic So, thank you so much for today. And I will, yeah, we'll put all of those resources into the show notes. And alongside that, I will put in some resources from Dr. Linda Bacon, who, from her book, Health at Every Size, she's actually got some letters that you can take along to your doctor to talk about the non diet approach and what it's all about. So, that's a fabulous resource. And if people are looking for a non weight biased health professional, there's a lot of different places to look at too so there's the hazeaustralia.weebly.com site which is all 100% safe weight inclusive health professionals from a variety of disciplines from all over australia that's where you can find them there's internationally there's the asda website so size diversity and, and you can go online and have a look at health professionals from the non diet space like literally globally So that's a fantastic resource. And back to Australia again for Dr Rick Causman's ifnotdieting.com.au website where you can actually find health professionals who have done his training. So hopefully with all of that in one place, people can find a really lovely team of people to help empower them with all of this stuff and stick up for your rights in a a system that kind of is getting better but needs more work.
1: So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, couldn't agree more. We're getting there, but you know, it, it's a team approach,
0: totally. All right, thank you so much, Fiona. We'll speak soon.
1: Oh, thanks, Lou. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Fiona Sutherland and I chatting about that topic. I hope it was helpful for everyone listening, and I really hope that you feel a little more empowered and hopefully more resourced. In your ability to speak up and demand better healthcare because it's a basic human right and we need to improve this climate that we're living in. So, thank you for listening. Just before we go, I just wanted to say that if you are thinking of coming and joining us at the Untrapped Community, Now is seriously the time to do it because we've just launched um, our fresh website and the first masterclass is going to start on September the 3rd. And the great news is that because we've got an opening special, so if you register now before the class starts on September 3rd, you're going to receive a discount of 10% off the registration fee because we really want to get a huge group of people gathered together ready to go on September 3rd and start this adventure. So if you're interested, please get to the website uh, www.untrapped.com.au and register. The offer is valid until September 3rd and the discount will just happen at the checkout. So it's all automatically done for you. So getting very excited about this launch finally happening. So again, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And if you liked it, please tell your friends, please give us a positive rating on iTunes and of course subscribe. And I will be back next week with some more rage. And in the meantime, I encourage you to please trust no one, think critically, push back against diet culture, untrap from the crap. Thank you.